we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around our body the death of Jesus, so that the time, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive in for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body, so then death is at work for us. But life is at work for you. Rest in all of your presence. There's people that are uh, perplexed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, though. God, knowing that you're here with us this morning. Father, we... Um, we just lift up your name and we declare that you are holy, that you are good. We know your love endures. Um, and so we just invite you to meet with us this morning. Speak to us. That's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Uh, some people are still coming in, so make sure you open up a chair for them um, as they make their way to your aisle. My name is Derek, by the way. I'm the senior pastor here. I always say lead pastor. I never said senior pastor. That sounds, yeah. Um, senior, senior leader here. Um, welcome. So if you're a guest with us, that's who I am. And uh, we have a lot to do today. Wonderful passage of scripture that you just heard Jake read. And um, it's the famous one with the jars of clay. You know, not a bad band, by the way. Anybody? A couple people. Flood. Remember Flood? The old 99X days, like, uh, made, the, made the rotation, the rotation. Uh, so, we're going to talk about that today, because it's always been a text that sounds really cool, but like, what does it mean? So, we'll, we'll break that down in a moment. Let's talk about this awesome picture. Um, this is a photo taken at an exhibit, obviously, of, uh, this is of Stevie Ray Vaughan's old guitar. Any fans of Stevie? Yep. I mean, if you don't know who he is, like, if you like John Mayer, thank Stevie Ray Vaughan, right? So, um, he's sort of whatever. But a uh, lot of guys stand on this man's shoulders. He died back when we were in college. It was terrible, like, he died in a helicopter crash. But uh, one of the great guitar players of all time. And this is a picture of his guitar. And I love this picture because the picture itself is this paradox. It's like there's this uh, juxtaposition of the beauty and, the, and the, uh, the genius of the music that comes out of an instrument that looks so damaged. Are you with me on that? And so it's one of those things like clearly when you look at this picture, you know that this thing's been dropped. It's, it's been hit against the wall. It's been, uh, you know stuff has spilled on it. Are you with me? Right? Some liquid maybe. Uh, you know that it's been in and out of the case it's been on tour after tour after tour, night after night, show after show. I mean, this thing has got some miles on it. If you look close enough, there's just gashes taken out of the wood. I mean, this is a pretty banged up instrument. And yet, the beauty is the, is the fact that great music comes from something so 
damaged. And I just think that's really cool. Like if you went to uh, Maple Guitar, uh, guitars right after this, right around the corner, and you walked in and said, I got three grand, and I just want to spend on like the best I can get for $3,000. Uh, they would, and if they went to, if they said, oh, we have just the thing for you, and they go in the back room, and they come out, and they open the case, and this is what's in there, your reaction is like, I don't think so. I want something new, something shiny, something like with a warranty, right? <laughs> Are you with me? So, uh, anyway, just a great visual of the paradox of beauty coming out of something so damaged. I did a Facebook survey last week. I don't do these often because, you know, it's cheesy. But um, I just put the question out there and said, look, what's, what's something you own that you just won't replace, even though it's pretty banged up? And like all the responses were just, I mean, pretty typical, like somebody's truck. Somebody wrote their knee, by the way, then we're going to replace their knee. Uh, you know, a certain hat, a piece of clothing, a stuffed animal, a pillow. I think I'd replace a pillow, by the way, um, <laughs> after 25 years. I think I'd get a new pillow. Um, all these different things, but like the best one was a lady wrote her husband's name. Now you think that's sad, but like that's a really profound, like, I mean, they're older, obviously, and uh, what she's saying is like, I got this husband, and um, you know, he's, he's kind of banged up, he's got problems, he's got stuff happening, you know, and I could trade him in, I guess, but I don't. I don't trade up. I just keep it. And uh, that's pretty cool. I thought that was like, that just wrote itself. Like, I was like, are you kidding me? Uh, it, was, it was fantastic. But, um, but this photo, I want you to think about your life and um, the reality of pain and suffering and difficulty and what it does to you and the years and years of um, in and out of struggle. You end up looking like that. I mean, maybe not today because it's Sunday and you just get all done up and you come in, you look great. But everybody knows like four hours ago, you look like that, right? Or the inside, like the emotional stuff. That's what it looks like. And yet what I want you to hear today is that out of damage, God makes great music. And we're beginning a six-week run today, which I didn't really want to do. I thought we could just do it in one and just call it a day. But every single passage that's been given to us for the next six weeks is about pain and suffering. And it's just not something that I, you know, I'm kind of a get-over-it guy. And yet, I also struggle with pain and suffering just like you. There's not any of us in here that doesn't carry around marks of, um, of damage because of pain, because of suffering, because of hardship, because of difficulty, right? I mean, are we all on the same page? It may be relational, it may be physical, it may be mental, uh, it may just be uh, just life around you is just hard, and it has its impact on your life, and so there's just, we're all in on this, and so what our hope is over the next six weeks is simply to go at this subject, this real subject of pain and suffering, and listen to what the Scriptures have to say on how you and I are to approach it, deal with it, walk through it, and so on. That's what we're going to do. Now, it's a downer of a subject, so we've made sure that uh, our gathering times are uplifting. Like, we're going to end today with just big, big music, and uh, it'll be hopefully encouraging to you. And, and my goal is uh, that you will be encouraged today. Uh, and I also want to say that we're not going to answer any questions today. 
Um, like, I'm not going to say anything that solves some things for you. Today is just groundwork. Today is about our condition, uh, which Paul relates to a jar of clay. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then kind of what God wants to do uh, with us. Okay, is that cool? Let's pray, and then we're just going to get right into this. Father, thank you for today, and we, uh, we pray ahead uh, for the next six weeks that You'll just do some really great stuff in the lives of uh, the people in this room. And God, all of us are banged up in some way, and all of us have the marks of struggle. And God, that we try to hide it and sit behind uh, our clothing, our careers, our, our skills. Underneath all of that, there's just wear and tear. And we just, uh, we just come into this service today. We come into this gathering. We come into this community. Just everybody on the same page. And so, God, as we look into your word today, I, I just pray that you uh, speak to us and encourage us. And it's in your name that we pray. And everyone said, let's talk about the reality of suffering and pain and struggle and difficulty. This is like, again, one of those things that everybody's on um, the same page. The, uh, the scriptures actually have a lot to say about pain and suffering. We'll just look at a couple things that Jesus says, but one of the first things Jesus says in John 16 is basically in this life, it's just going to be hard for you. You know, uh, in this world, you're just going to have tribulation. You're going to have trouble, um, which is good to know that Jesus knows that, right? So if you're ever in a church setting or some spiritual discussion and what you hear is, hey, look, just trust in Jesus and everything gets better, leave that church building, leave that conversation. It's not true. In fact, I would argue, for those of you who have been followers of Christ for a long time, I would argue that uh, it actually gets harder. Uh, because the way of Jesus is upstream in our culture, and so it's just one of those things, like, if you're really doing it, it's just not easy. And so it's good to know that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, look, here's the deal, here's the reality. In this world, you're going to have trouble. There's, there's going to be tribulation. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be trial. Uh, on your life, around your life, in your life. I mean, like, you're just going to go through that. So it's just good for us to hear, uh, at least from Jesus, uh, this is just a normal, it's a normal part of life. Uh, another thing that he says in Matthew 5 uh, is this wonderful statement about how, look, the sun rises and falls on both good people and bad people. Uh, he says the, um, well, it's right here. There it is. Uh, he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. This is Jesus saying something that we all know but need to be reminded of, and that's just we all live under good and bad situations. Like there just isn't a particular person that gets, gets it worse than the other, right? Like he's just saying, God, all this stuff happens to both good people and bad people. Now, we typically ask the question, which is also the title of a book, why do bad things happen to good people? Like that's our question. What's interesting is when you search the scriptures, that question doesn't really exist that much. It's the opposite question that, you know, sort of fills the pages, particularly in the Psalms. But uh, the question in the Bible is more like, why do great things happen to terrible people? Is anybody with me on that? That's the one, like, that's the, like, the, it's really cool to me because the, the writers of the scripture, I mean, sure, they probably ask, why are these bad things happening to me? I mean, Job asked that question, but, like, it's not, it's not the dominant question. Like, the, they're sort of like, I get it, stuff happens, but what I really want to know is, why do those people succeed? Why do evil people tend to do well, right? 
Only the good die young. Like, can we just quote Billy Joel? Right? We're, so. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of the question that comes off the pages of the Scripture. Not so much like, why, why am I undergoing so much trial, but like, why, why are all these terrible people succeeding? So that's kind of a question that the Bible asks rather than like, why do bad things happen to me? But basically what these two Scriptures we looked at from Jesus are saying is pain and suffering is just a normal part of life. But here's the thing about it. It gets our attention, right? See, when pain and suffering comes our way, it grabs our attention. And the reason it grabs our attention is because as people, we work so hard to get it together that when something happens to us or around us that affects us, that puts a blemish on a perfect record, that just frustrates us. And it gets our attention and it yells into our idea about life. And it says, you cannot always master or be the master of your own brokenness. You just can't. And like when we're rolling along and things are going well, and then something terrible happens, we start, it gets our attention. C.S. Lewis says it this way, that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, pain and suffering is the philosophical problem of our day. Let me explain this to you. If God is all-powerful, then he must not be good, because if he were all-powerful and could stop all of that, then he would. So if he's all-powerful, then he cannot be good. And if he is good, then he is clearly not all-powerful. He may want to solve every problem under the sun, but he can't. Therefore, he is not all-powerful. So he is either straight-up all-powerful but not good, or he is good and unable. Are you with me on that? This is, this is one of the leading conversations that I have with people when it comes to this issue. But the thing to remember, um, and this is where uh, C.S. Lewis would eventually say, it turns out that atheism is just too simple. Uh, And where he gets that from is when you approach those statements, those notions about God, you end up still with the problem of pain and suffering. You still end up, even if you say, oh, fine, I'm just going to leave God I'm going to push him to the side. We're just going to go with this thing. There is no God because of these things. You're still left with the philosophical problem of why things are just and unjust. You're still left to wrestle with why is there pain and suffering and how am I even defining pain and suffering? And even though I may come to the conclusion that because it's just too complicated to understand that God just can be erased from the equation, I still have to answer the question, like why does this frustrate me? Why does pain and suffering bother me? Why is this a problem? And so it turns out that just erasing God becomes too easy. Now, I often find, and this isn't a knock on anybody that doesn't have kids, but I often find that this struggle tends to come from people who do not have children. Uh, You would think that having children uh, wouldn't have anything to do with it, but basically, let me just break it down to you in like the simplest form. Like uh, when my son was five or six or whatever and playing soccer and he gets hit in the face with a soccer ball and he goes down on the ground like some, you know, some scene from Platoon, and uh, he, feels, he feels like everything that just happened to him is so unjust 
And maybe it was. I mean, maybe the punk kicked the ball in his head, right? And as a parent on the sideline, what do I do? Well, I see the situation from 30,000 feet, and I say, he's fine, he'll be fine. I mean, worst case, broken nose, you know, like, he's fine. But to him, in the moment, he's ticked. Are you with me on this? And so the question becomes, could it possibly be, it's just a question to consider, could it possibly be that we're just all in fifth grade? Are you with me on that? I mean, could it just possibly be that when it comes to how we see life and the troubles that come our way, could it be that we're just five, six, seven years old? And that's all we'll ever be. We'll never get it completely. It's just something to consider. So it turns out that it's just too simple to erase God. It's harder to deal uh, with the question, pain and suffering. But as Jesus said, it's just a reality. It's always around you, and it reminds us that we don't really always, we can't always hold it together because things just happen to us. The struggle is finding a way through it. And our text today holds out some pretty good counsel. If you have a Bible, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, um, the total text is 5 through 12. I want to zero in on just a few of these verses. Um, the context for this is interesting, but let's put the first half of verse 7 on the screen, uh, Paul says, but we, and when Paul says we in 2 Corinthians, he's talking about himself, but he's speaking in, in terms of community so that he doesn't come across too angry at the people he's writing to. So he's sort of including them in like us, this community, but he's really talking about himself. And he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. So this is an interesting thing to say because for us, it maybe doesn't make a lot of sense. Someone came up to me afterwards, after the first service and said, thank you. I now get, I'd never understood what that verse meant. And uh, so hopefully you'll have the same sort of epiphany moment. But um, he starts here. Now, the context is simply this. And this is a very short version of a very long story. Books and books are written on this. But basically, Paul was going through great suffering in his life. He was away from this church in Corinth that he helped start. Um, And for some, not all of them, but for some, Paul's suffering and the news of his suffering, imprisonment, beatings, run out of town, you name it, The news of Paul's suffering for some in Corinth was a sign to them of failure. If Paul is suffering, then he must be failing as not only a Christian, but as a leader. Now, before you say, well, that's just stupid, we do that too. Like the moment something happens to us or around us that impacts us, if you're a follower of Christ, one of the knee-jerk reactions is to say, what is God doing to me? Why is this happening? What, what am I in trouble with God? Like, are you with me on that? And so that's just something that we all tend to do. But evidently what had been happening at this church in Corinth is some visiting teachers came through and they began to stay or and teach. While they were staying, they were teaching uh, some of these things to the, uh, the Corinthian church, this early Christian community in Corinth. And one of the things that they were essentially saying to them was, look, your boy Paul is in a terrible mess, and therefore, he's a failure. Because, and this sort of rolls over in that day and age from the the philosophy of the cynics and the stoics, but essentially, if trouble comes your way, you can just let it roll. You can let it roll off your back. Like, you can just deal with it by not dealing with it. Like, their thought process behind suffering was simply, you can ignore it, and it doesn't impact you. It doesn't affect you. It doesn't bang you up. 
But as you'll see in a moment, Paul actually speaks directly against that notion and says, actually, all the suffering and all the pain that I'm going through is impacting me greatly, both physically, spiritually, and mentally. It's real. And he starts off this letter or this portion of the letter saying, this treasure, which we'll talk about in a moment, it's so cool, is in a jar of clay. And this is a metaphor as he's talking about himself. I'm the clay, I'm the jar of clay. And this is really all you need to know about this portion of the verse. Of all the containers in the ancient world, particularly in Corinth, of all the containers that were used to carry things, to store things, to transport things, the jar of clay or the clay pot or the earthenware, as some versions say, was the most frail. So in, Paul, in Paul's own way of trying to defend himself, he does not say, man, I'm the strongest jar of clay. I'm, I'm, I'm the strongest container. He actually goes to the very weakest container of the day, the jar of clay, the most frail. Like if it broke, they didn't try to recast it into something else. They just threw it away. It had served its purpose or it had failed to serve its purpose. And so it was just trash. Uh, Archaeologists uh, say that, if anything, the broken pieces of the jar of clay were used to write numbers on for receipts and sales transactions. So it's that thin. Now, what did they use these for? This, this even like, you know, we've got the jar of clay. Okay, great. Paul saying he's thin, he's fragile. We get that. But when he comes out, when you know what the things were used for, it's even greater. Like the first thing that it was used for is these jars of clay were used as lanterns because they were so thin you could put fire in there and it would shine through, right? So you do the math. The thinner the clay, what? The brighter the light. So it doesn't mean it's very stable, but it serves its purpose very well. Like the more fragile, the more frail, the more thin the clay, the brighter the light. The other use for jars of clay is so cool. Like they would basically, to, uh, to throw off criminals, they would transport really valuable items in these things. I read this story of an, uh, an ambassador between uh, Europe and the U.S. during World War II, and his job was basically just to run information back and forth. And it was always done like on a plane. Like they would write up the, he would write up the report, the classified information, and send it on a plane. But when he had extremely uh, vital information, key information, really important stuff, top secret classified stuff, he would put it in a normal envelope, put a stamp on it and the address of the recipient and just drop it in the mail. Why? Because no one's ever going to think that anything valuable is in there. Are you with me on that? And so Paul says, oh, I'm a jar of clay. And the thinner I am, the more frail I am, the brighter the light is that comes out of it. But even more important than that, it's the last container you would ever think that something valuable would be inside. So when you look at me, when the world looks at you and says they're so broken up and fragile and frail, they don't think there's a great treasure inside of that person. And so Paul says this is sort of the upside down nature of the gospel, like God loves to live inside these broken containers. He's okay with that. He's not put off by who we are. Notice what it says in Psalm 103, uh, verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And I put the Hebrew in there for you. Afar, 
which means debris. Clay, shards, broken pottery. This is how God sees us. He knows, he remembers that we are basically cracked and broken pieces of clay. Therefore, he's not put off by that. He finds great comfort in making his home in a container like that. And so it's just one of those things where um, it may look cheap, it may look fragile, but Paul says the treasure of God, the gospel, makes its home inside of such things. God's okay with that. The more frail and thin the clay pot was, the brighter the light was that shone through it. And the more broken up and cracked our lives are, the more of God's grace and mercy and power and strength is made known to the world. Right? Because there are Christians who do everything on their own strength, and everybody looks at them and says, man, I wish I could be like them, pray like them, you know, be a spiritual person like them, but it's just all them. And then you look at the least likely candidate for like the Strong Disciple Award, whatever that is, um, and you would say it would never be them. And yet, God's light shines through the cracks more than it does whatever it is that we've built to hide that. So the next few verses, let's go back to the verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. And then he says, uh, the second part of the verse says, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. So it's, it's quite simple. Like, it's not that complicated. The first half is, but the second part is just simply, look, the treasure that's in, in our brokenness, in our broken lives, that's just, that's just, that's a, that just proves that it's not me, it's God. That's all Paul's saying. So the, the critics of Paul in the day were saying, because you're suffering, because you're going through difficulty, you're a failure as a person, as a Christian, as a leader. And yet, Paul was still very effective in what he was doing, and so he was saying, look, what you see may be broken, but God's still working. He's still moving. He's still making great music out of a torn up, banged up instrument like me. It's not, it's not the way the world would like to see it, but that's just the way it is. Next verse. Um, then he just describes it. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. The persecuted but not forsaken, like the Greek language there is great because it's this, it's this picture of on the run, but not by myself. Like I'm in the valley, but not alone is what that phrase means. And this is pretty cool because again, Paul's speaking into the notion that you can just blow off affliction. He's like, that's not true. I'm afflicted in every way and it hurts, but I'm not crushed. See, this is the thing. It's okay. Like, I'm perplexed for sure, but not driven to despair. If you could see the Greek, these words are very similar. It's like this wordplay thing he's doing. It's brilliant. Because I'm persecuted. I'm on the run. Like, people are after me. It feels like the world's after me, but I'm not alone in this. I'm not forsaken. That means I'm not, like, left here to die. And so, speaking into the idea that, oh, you can just be immune to pain and suffering and, um, 
and instead saying, no, 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 it actually has an impact on me and you, but it's not the last, it's not the final word. And when we are broken and weak, that's when the power of God shines through. Look at verses 10 and 11. And this is back to this visual of the treasure, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. This is just simply Paul saying the gospel story, we carry that with us. The story of God coming in the person of Jesus, dying on the cross, absorbing all the brokenness of the world, we carry that story around in us. We don't let go of that. So that the life that he gives us shows through our lives, our bodies. And he basically repeats that again. So here's the problem with pain and suffering. It forces you and me to have face-to-face confrontation with the big questions of God's goodness, of God's mercy, of the sovereignty of God in the world. And perhaps the two driving questions that we are always wrestling with when trouble comes our way are, one, is God allowing me to go through this right now? Right? Uh, is, you know, is this something that God is allowing me to experience? And the other question would be, or is this simply just the result of all the brokenness that lives around me? Does that make sense? Those are the two questions. Maybe you never ask those questions, but they are good questions. Like some suffering comes, and this is just an aside so that we're all on the same page here. Some suffering comes as a result of my own decisions. That's not the one we want to hear. But sometimes my own willful steps into destructive behaviors, that's causing suffering in my life. Let me just give you a few examples so that you understand what I'm saying. Um, Maybe you have spent your way into so much debt that it's causing great suffering. Now, I don't want to make you mad, but that's just not God's fault. Like if you're just, you know, if you're just swimming in debt because you had to have everything you saw, you can't blame God for that. Has God abandoned you in that situation? No. In fact, he would love to rescue, from that, rescue you from that situation. But that's not his problem. That's our problem, right? Uh, maybe you enjoy just having toxic people in your life. For some reason, you are just ma- it's just magnetic for you to be around people who are destructive. And you're always complaining about your friends and your life and the people in your life. And if any objective person were to look at you and say, well, yeah, look at your friends. Look at the people that you are finding worth in and from. Now, God may want to use you in that situation, but it is, it, it, it's not God doing that to you. Uh, maybe it's deeper. Maybe there is now uh, an addiction that you struggle with, whether it be alcohol or some other behavior, which never started as an addiction but just steps towards that. Does God want to rescue you from that? Yeah. Is God with you in that? Yes. Is it his fault? No. A lot of the suffering that we go through in life, and the list is long, are simply the results of our own 
decisions. Now, some suffering on the nice end of things is just simply the setting that you're in. Does anyone here have a crazy family? Some of you who came with your parents, you don't want to raise your hand, but I get that. I mean, everybody's got that crazy uncle, right? Like, you go to the family reunion, you're like, man, I just hope that so-and-so doesn't show up, right? Because it just blemishes the whole story, you know? But sometimes it's just like the family you're in or the neighborhood that you live in, right? Some of us, you know, in this room, like, it's a big city, and there's all different kinds of places in the city, and some of you live in very great places, and some of you live in places that, honestly, there's just a lot of crime and struggle, and it's just the environment you're in. You know, your car gets broken into, not because God's trying to teach you a lesson, but you just live on that street, right? So it's just really smart for us to sort of break down, like, why are these things happening, and not always run to the immediate sort of knee-jerk reaction is like, why is God doing this? Why is God allowing me to be in debt? Well, because that's what you've done. And then on the other end, the situation, the environment that you might be in. Maybe you work in a very toxic place. You hate your job. You can't stand the people that you work with. I always know who you are because I'll say, how's your job? And you go, it's a job. <laughs> and that's the, like, I'm going to give, that's the, that's, the, that's the answer you give the preacher, right? But in your head, you're like, I've got plans to hurt people, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, are you with me on that? Like, I, I can always tell, like, I usually ask, like, so do you, like, watch The Office? If, like, you're like, man, I love that show. It's like, your job is terrible. Like, I know, like, so. If you say, I don't really get it, then you're the manager in that show. So, I think it's a dumb show. Mm-hmm. World's best boss right there. Um, so, anyway, I mean, there's a long list here, and we'll just move on. But um, is God allowing me to go through this right now, or is this, this pain and suffering, this difficulty that I'm going through, simply just a product of the brokenness that surrounds me? I would say that at varying times, the answer to both of those questions is yes. There are certainly situations when God is allowing you, and maybe even taking it a step further, pushing you through a situation. None, nothing more than you can handle. And then oftentimes, it's just simply the world that we live in. Now, I have chosen, this may not be your uh, bent, but I have chosen as an individual not to try and figure out the answer to that question every time because I'll drive myself crazy. And the reason that I don't try to spend too much time answering that question, is God allowing me to go through this, or is this just the situation that I'm in right now? Is this just the way the world is, or is God trying to teach me a lesson? I refuse to answer that question more and more as I get older, simply because the outcome that God's looking for for me, and whatever the situation may be, is always the same. Always. Whether He's pulling me through something, or it's just the way the world is, the outcome is always the same. And so therefore, I now try and breach that question and just get right to the thing that matters most. And that's just how to walk through it. Moving forward, knowing that God, no matter what the situation it is that I'm going through, is not giving up on me and has no plans to replace me or trade me in. So it breaks down like this. I'm in a tough situation because I put myself there. What's the outcome? It's the same. I'm in a tough situation because the people around me 
Outcome's the same. And in this case, in our text today, it is about remembering that however broken and however frail the container is, God still wants to shine through. God still believes in you. He has no plans to replace you or trade up. And so for the next five Sundays, we're going to walk through this subject of pain and suffering, how to approach it biblically. And the first thing that I wanted to tell you today, and I know you've heard it already, and I want you to leave with this this morning, is simply this, no matter what it is that you're going through, no matter what the level of pain and suffering is in your life right now, and just as an aside, everybody's pain and suffering is relative to the individual. Like your pain and suffering may be somebody else's vacation, right? And their pain and suffering to you may be like the end of the world. But it doesn't really matter because it's, it's the stuff you're going through that feels the worst. And so whatever the level of pain and suffering is that is in your life right now, all I'm trying to say to you today and all Paul was trying to say is if you feel like this cheap, broken, frail jar of clay, then that's good. God likes to live in such places. He can shine brighter, in fact, through that. And to remember that he's always with you. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are what? With me. I love that the psalmist doesn't define the valley. doesn't matter. God's with him through the whole thing. So the world may look at you and say she's broken and she's useless. But God is writing an alternative story. Let me show you where we're headed because this is actually the last text of our season. Jumping ahead, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. You're just going to hear that every week, by the way, so just lock in. My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. Pain and suffering isn't the end of the game. And like the picture we saw at the beginning of the, the sermon, God makes great music with banged up instruments. And if you feel like this, wear and tear years of difficulty, it doesn't mean you don't sound good. And God still makes great music with instruments like that. He brings beauty out of damage. Amen? Let's celebrate communion together and let this be a hopeful uh, and an encouraging few minutes. Uh, if you're new with us, there's two tables in the front, two in the back. Um, you're welcome to take it back to your seat. You know, we allow that, of course, uh, or you can take it around the table. But uh, I'll pray, and then you can just uh, sit in the moment uh, and reflect and then make your way to one of the tables. And then stay in here because we've got to sing on the way out. So uh, let's pray. God, thank you for this day, and thank you for um, your provision, and thank you for how you surround us with uh, people to encourage us. And, uh, and today, God, we just circle up around your word, and we get to hear from one of your people, this great man, Paul, saying, he's pretty banged up. But what's happening on the inside is a treasure. And God, help us 
as a community of people and as individuals uh, to trust you, to keep moving forward, to spend less time interpreting circumstances and more time running for the right outcome. That whatever the situation, we glorify you, whether in word or deed, we do everything in your name. And God, I pray for those in the room uh, today who uh, are in the midst of great pain and suffering and struggle. I pray that in some way you can and will bring them into a deeper faith and encourage them. Thank you so much for uh, this time together. And as we take the bread and the juice, let it be a reminder of the suffering that you went through uh, on behalf of us. And it's in your name we pray. And everyone said...